when I perform the wedding ceremony for a couple, I always like to turn their attention to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Uh, in that passage, we have marriage as God originally planned it. We always need to keep in mind that marriage is God's idea. It's the institution that he has established. It's not something that man has created. Uh, in that passage, we are told that God planned marriage for companionship. Adam is taught a very valuable lesson that animals are not adequate companions. So God creates for Adam a woman, a wife, uh, to be his companion. We also learn that marriage is the highest of human relationships. When you look at all of the human relationships that we can have here on earth, marriage is the highest. It's, it exceeds the relationship between husband, well, between a, a parents and children. Uh, it also exceeds the relationship between siblings. God planned marriage to be the highest of human relationship. And God also planned marriage to be an intimate relationship. The fact is that God brought Adam and Eve together, and after they left their father and their mother, and they became one flesh, they enjoyed intimacy. God intended marriage to be an intimate relationship. There is a relationship that is more important than the marriage relationship. And that is the relationship between the believer and God. That relationship exceeds any other relationship a person can be involved in. In fact, the reality of the matter is you can't be the husband or the wife unless your vertical relationship with God is what it should be. So often people have problems with their horizontal relationship with their mate because the problem is they don't have that vertical relationship with God. And so the relationship with God is the most important, vital, and necessary relationship that you and I can ever enter into. And that's really what John is saying in our text today. He's highlighting the believer's relationship with God. The believer's relationship with God. And he explains what that relationship looks like, and he explains how we can know that we have that kind of a relationship. In our text, John basically provides three signs that signify that a believer has a relationship with God. And as our sermon title suggests, it's not just a relationship, but it is an intimate, personal relationship with God. When you think about what it is that God wants for you and for me, he, he wants us to have that kind of relationship with him, one that is intimate, one that is personal, one that is with him. Before we look at these three signs that signify an intimate personal relationship with God, I just want us to zero in on John's terminology for this intimate personal relationship. 
three different times in a span of four verses, he talks about this intimate, personal relationship. In verse 13, he says, we abide in him and he, that is God, in us. John talks about how we can know that we abide in him, that is in God, and, and, and how God abides in us. He also says in verse 15 that God abides in the one who has a proper profession and confession about Jesus Christ. God abides in him, and that individual abides in God. And then lastly, in verse 16, John talks about the one who's in love or lives in love, that that individual abides in God, and God abides in him. So I hope you don't miss that terminology. It might sound strange to us, but, but John is saying to his readers, I, I want you to know that you can have an intimate personal relationship with God, that you can abide in God, remain in God, and continue in God, and at the same time, God can abide and remain in you. You, you can't get it any closer than that. It's kind of like the two mesh together, but that's not what he's literally trying to say. But he is wanting us to know that, that in our relationship with God, that we can be and abide and remain in God. But at the same time that that is a reality, God is remaining and continuing in us as believers. I, I, I can't visualize that. I can't visualize how I can be in God and at the same time God can be in me. But those are the two realities that coexist. And it's the two realities that really specify what it means to have an intimate personal relationship with God. And I want to stress each of those descriptions, a relationship with God. I don't know how excited and how happy and how joyful you are when you hear that as a person, you can have a relationship with God. You and me, puny, finite individuals whose lives are just a vapor, we can have a relationship with the God of heaven and earth. That is mind-boggling that puny Paul Felix can have a relationship with Almighty God. That the God who has always existed from eternity past all the way to eternity future, that this God has made it possible for me, who's just a little blip on the screen, that I can have a relationship with him. But, but it's not just having a relationship with God. It's a personal relationship. It, it's personal. It's mano-mano. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, what's being talked about here is not us as a church having a relationship with God, but it's us as individual believers having a relationship with God, a personal relationship. Sometimes we can have a relationship with an individual, but it's not personal. 
Some of us have relatives and friends. Quote, we have a relationship, but it's not personal. But when it comes to God, the, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who is infinite, he has chosen not just to create us, but he has chosen for us to have a personal relationship with him. If there was no one else in the world, God wants a personal relationship with you. I'm not talking about your mother or your father. I'm not talking about your brother or your sister. That kind. God wants to have a personal relationship. And I want to take it a step further. An intimate, personal relationship with God. So that when it comes to my relationship with God, there's intimacy. That it's not external, but it's internal. That I know in an intimate way that we are close. That we are connected. That I have a relationship with him that is personal, but also intimate. So that whatever I'm going through in life, God is not distant. God is not way out there, but God is with me. And as John says, in me, and I am in him. That's what John is trying to etch on the minds of his readers, that, that you and I can have an intimate, personal relationship with God. And, and not only can we have that, we can know from experience that we have that relationship with God. God doesn't want us walking through this world as if he's some distant being, as if he doesn't know our name, as if he doesn't know the details of our life. God wants us to know that as his children, we can have intimacy with him, that, that we can have a personal relationship with him. So that when I'm having my devotion, when I'm in my car by myself, God can be experienced. God can be enjoyed. I don't need any fanfare. I can be reminded of the truth that this is God. He knows me. I have an intimate, close relationship with him. And you think of the different relationships that you have. Intimate relationships, personal relationships. And it's good when you can have that kind of relationship with a person. You, you can't experience that with everyone. But when it comes to God, God says that you can have an intimate, personal relationship with him. And I trust that as those who profess to be Christians, that as you live your lives, that you won't just simply exist, go through the motions, go through the details of life, absent and ignoring the fact that God designed you for more than that. God designed you that he would be in your life and that you would be in his life. This idea of mutual indwelling. A lot of times the Bible talks about us in Christ. But, but here it's mutual. God is in us. We are in God. 
And so John wants us to know that we can have this kind of relationship, that this is not some kind of foreign thought, that I, I'm just going through the world and, and the God that I have is out there, doesn't know about me, doesn't care about me. No, he cares about me. He loves me. He's concerned about me. He knows all the details of my life. He wants to walk with me and talk with me through all of life's challenges that are before me. And so if you don't get anything else from this passage, make sure you understand that this passage is saying that God wants his children to have an intimate, personal relationship with him. Anything less is not what God created you for. It's not what God designed for you. So an intimate, personal relationship with God is signified by the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's presence and power in the believer's life confirms that I have this relationship with God. Let me state John's word a little bit different, different than that are found in verse 13. John, in essence, is saying God has given us his spirit. And by this, we can know that we abide in God and God abides in us. How can I know? How can I be certain that I have this mutual indwelling? Is this just some theological truth or is there a practical implication? John says, by this, by the fact that God has given his spirit to us, that's the grounds. That's the basis how we can know that we have an intimate, personal relationship with God. The Holy Spirit, some people have referred to the third person of the Trinity as the forgotten member of the Trinity. Sometimes we don't focus enough upon the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit working in our life, the Holy Spirit's presence in my life, that certifies, that signifies that I do have an intimate personal relationship with God. Without his power, without his presence, I'm not going to know that with certainty. Unfortunately, we don't value that relationship like we should. When Jesus was headed toward the cross in that upper room discourse in John 13 through 17, the Lord Jesus Christ said to his men that he was going to leave them. But he let them know that even though he was going to leave them, that he was going to send them another helper. Jesus says, Men, the time is coming where I'm not going to be with you physically. I've been with you these last three years, these last three and a half years. I'm getting ready to go back to my father. But, but I want you to know that when I go back to my father, I'm going to pray to my father and he will send you another comforter, another helper. And, and the idea is that Jesus says, I'm going to send you one who's going to be just like 
I have been with you. I've been with you these last three and a half years. You, you have followed me. You have seen me. I've encouraged you. I've rebuked you. I've taught you. But I'm going. And you physically will not be with me. But, but I'm going to do something that is just as beneficial. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, another helper. In fact, Jesus says, if I don't go, I cannot send that other helper. It would not be possible for you to experience the great advantage of having the Holy Spirit in your life. And John is speaking of the gift of the Holy Spirit. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in my body. We talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that means that it matters how I live. That means it matters what I do with my physical body. You heard a testimony during the baptism of not using the physical body for the glory and honor of God. For the believer, we have to glorify God in our body because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But at the moment of salvation, the Spirit of God takes residence in my body. That's a mind-blowing idea, that my body is actually the temple that houses the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit of God also regenerates us, gives us new life. The Spirit of God also seals us, makes sure that our salvation is secure. The Spirit of God baptizes us, not with water, but places us into the body of Christ. The Spirit of God gives us spiritual gifts so that we can serve. And John is saying that the presence of the Holy Spirit, the, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, is how you can know that you have an intimate, personal relationship with God. In other words, if, if the Holy Spirit is not real to you, if you're not experienced his leading, his guiding, how he causes us to put sin to death, how he directs us according to his word, if that's not a reality in your life, you won't have this assurance that you have an intimate, personal relationship with God. The Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. But John has something more to say. In verse 14, as he's focusing on this idea of the gift of the Holy Spirit, John says in verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 14, and we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. John takes us to the theater of God. God has a theater. And in his theater, he's playing his movies that represents what he has done in the world. And God's movie, as John says here, is that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Pause on that. Chew on that. Rejoice in that. Be glad that God 
in his marvelous wisdom, saw the messed up condition of men and women and boys and girls. And the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. And the implication is that there's salvation in no other person. That's God's movie. That's God's story. If you want to grasp God's movie, God's story, if you want to look at it, it focuses in on, at the core of it, is that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior. Now, if you're alert to this, John said similar things back in verse 9 and also in verse 10. In verse 9, he pointed out the fact that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. Did you hear that? God sent his one-of-a-kind son into this world of lost people. For what purpose? For what goal? So that we might live, truly live, might have life in him. And if that's not enough, in verse 10, it says that the father sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. That is, the sacrifice for our sin. God, in sending his son, took care of the sin problem in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He satisfied the holy wrath of God. In our text, John says God sent his son to be the savior, the savior of the world. And John says when it comes to that movie, I have beheld it along with others who are with me. I've sat down. I was in the theater. I, I watched this movie that focused in on God sending his son into the world to be the savior of the world. And, and that is a marvelous movie. That is a marvelous story. And, and John says, I have beheld it in the past. And, and it, it's still before me. Even though I'm not watching it right now, it's still before me. Beholding the fact that God sent his son to be the savior of the world. And it impacted John's life to such an extent that not only does he talk about him beholding it, him looking at him, him considering it and thinking on it, but he bears witness that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. That this marvelous story that talks about God's plan of redemption, John says, I've contemplated it, I considered it, I grasped it, I beheld it, and it's changed my life. So now that I've watched this movie, I, I got to tell everybody else about this movie. I got to tell everybody else that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's good news, my friend. Uh, in a world where men and women, boys and girls are dead as can be in their trespasses and sin. And they cannot do anything about their spiritual condition. It is good to know there is a Savior, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus had that encounter with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, she went back and told the fellow Samaritans, and eventually they came to the point, no, where they said, we believe not on your testimony, but because we have seen and believe 
that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Do you believe that? Do you contemplate that? Do you pause in your life and view the movie that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world? And then do you leave the theater with that movie etched in your mind and you go and bear witness that he is the Savior of the world? That's what's involved in an intimate personal relationship with God. An intimate personal relationship with God is also signified by a proper conviction about Jesus. The individual who has that close relationship with God will have a correct belief and conviction that goes down in the soul concerning who Jesus Christ is. To put it another way, you can't be wrong about Jesus and have an intimate, personal relationship with God. John says in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Whoever. John doesn't care who it is. Whoever meets that condition. Whoever says and believes that Jesus is the Son of God, then John says, I can say about that person that that person is experiencing mutual indwelling. That person is experiencing an intimate, personal relationship with God. Now, we need to understand what John means when he says confesses. This is not the same as simply say. We could go to the children's church classes and get the children to say that Jesus is the Son of God. We could probably even go to the nursery and get some of the kids in the nursery to say that Jesus is the Son of God. But that does not mean at all. Even though you might think you're a little cutie, sweet, and all of that, that doesn't mean at all that he or she has an intimate, personal relationship with God. When John says confess it, it's not just with the lips, it's with the heart. He's talking about something that is intimate, an inner conviction, something that's on the inside, something that rings true in the heart, where the person says, I know, I believe, it's real to me. This is who Jesus Christ is. He is the Son of God. And it's interesting, when we get to chapter 5, if we ever get there, John will mention this phrase, the Son of God, the Son of God. And the person who confesses, who believes internally in their heart that Jesus is the Son of God, John says that person is experiencing mutual indwelling. The Son of of God. Don't let that phrase pass you by. When we preach through the Gospel of Mark, the very first verse, Mark says in, uh, in the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He started off telling his readers that Jesus is the Son of God. 
And then when you come to the very end of the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus is on the cross, he's about to die. Well, he actually does die. The centurion who was responsible for his execution on the cross, his crucifixion, the centurion said, truly, this man is the Son of God. So when you think about what we believe about Jesus Christ, it can be summed up that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the eternal second person of the Trinity, that he has always existed, that in time and history he came into this world, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins and my sins, that he was buried, that he arose from the dead, and right now he's seated at the right hand of God, but he's coming again. John says the one who confesses that, not simply with their lips, but confesses that in their heart. That one. It can be said that God abides in him and he in God. There are many confessions today about Jesus. And some of you might be holding to these confessions. Some will say that Jesus is a good man. Some will say that Jesus is a created being. Some will say that Jesus is a part of the white man's religion. But John says that Jesus is the Son of God. And there's no way that you and I can have an intimate, personal relationship with God without that conviction and that internalization of that truth that Jesus is the Son of God in all that that means. The final thing that I want you to see from our text is that an intimate, personal relationship with God is signified by continuing in love. I know you probably thought John was going to let us off the hook and not talk about love, but, but he's not. I mean, he's been talking about love a, a whole lot. And some of you are getting tired of what he's saying about love. But, but as John talks about this mutual indwelling, he says it's related to this idea of love. But before he gets to proclaiming that, that this mutual love, this practicing of love, it's a sign of mutual indwelling. John wants us to consider something very significant. And I hope and I trust that you won't just think on this right now, but I trust that throughout the week, you will focus in on this phrase in verse 16 that says, the love which God has for us. Can I say that again? The, the, the focus is the love which God has for us. And if you sleep on that, that's your problem. That's where you are. Uh, if the idea of the love which God has for you doesn't excite you, doesn't grab a hold of you, something is wrong. If we can think of the love which God has showered on us, 
and it's just like any other truth, any other statement, then we've missed it. John says about this love, it's a preeminent love. No, it's the love that is number one, the love. He's not talking about just any kind of love, but the love. And it's the love that God possesses. He says the love which God has. This marvelous love that he's talking about is a part of God's being. It's a part of his possession. And the wonderful thing is that God has poured out this love toward us. The love which God has toward us. God doesn't keep this love to himself. That's not the way that love functions. But instead, this love God has poured out so that the believers are the recipients of it. And John makes the statement that he has come to know and has come to believe the love that God has poured out on him. In his own individual experience and in the experience of its readers, John can say, we have come to know this love. This love that God has poured out on us. We come to know it by experience. It's true to us. It's a reality to us. But, but not only has he come to know it experientially, but he says, we come to believe it. That's interesting. Normally we think about belief in Christ, our belief in God. But John says we have a belief in this love that God has for us. And what he's trying to communicate to us is that we trust this love. We rely upon this love. We bank our life on this love. We, we lean on this everlasting love. So that no matter what the circumstances might be, no matter if my world is turned upside down, it doesn't matter if everyone has rejected me, but because I have come to know and believe in this love, God will see me through. That's what he's saying. I might not have friends. I might not have a mate. I might not have anything. But if I have God, John says, I've come to know this love and I come to believe in it. That, that, that it will work and sustain me and help me no matter what I'm going through. That, that God has poured out his love on me will sustain me in every situation of life, in the loss of loved ones, in the loss of a job, in the loss of money, in the loss of friends. There's something that will keep you. There's something that will hold you. And that is the love that God has poured out upon you. And John says, we know, we have come to know, and we have come to believe this love which God has poured out upon us. It's not just a love that's part of God's character and part of God's nature. It's a love that has come from God to us. And that's why he said, God is love. That's why the very next statement, God is love. An attribute of God, he, he's love. 
And because God is love, he loves. And because God is love, you and I have been the recipients of the love of God. And in light of all of that, John says at the very end of verse 16, the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. There it is. That intimate relationship between the believer and God. God abiding in the believer. The believer abiding in God. There's no more precious relationship than that. And John says when we abide in love, then we will abide in God and God abides in us. We can't love unless we are experiencing this intimate personal relationship with God. And so John tells us once again, when he says abiding in love, what is he saying? Love one another. Sorry, but that's what he's saying, love one another. He's saying the same thing that we talked about last Sunday in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, where Paul talked about, you know, let everything that you do be done in love. That's the qualification. Everything that you do, every deed that you do, every word that you speak, every act that you carry out, make sure it's done in love. Make sure you are continuing and abiding in God, the God who is love, and make sure that everything that you do and say is based upon that reality. Make sure before you say a word, I'm saying this word in love. Make sure before you carry out an act or deed, I'm carrying out this act or deed in love. God wants us to have an intimate, personal relationship with him. It's more than just a relationship. It's more than just a personal relationship. He wants us to have an intimate, personal relationship. He wants us to know that he is real and that he's not just simply the creator, the one who brought the world into existence, but that he is present and works in our lives. An intimate personal relationship with God is signified by the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's signified by a proper conviction about Jesus. And it's signified by continuing in love. John doesn't really provide us with a to-do list, go out and do this. John is more concerned about how you can know that your Christianity is what God designed it to be. And what helps us to really grasp this Christianity so that it becomes a part of our life is to meditate on some of these wonderful things that John has said. When is the last time that you've meditated on the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us of his spirit. 
When's the last time you sat down in the theater of God and you watched the movie, The Father Has Sent His Son to Be the Savior of the World? When's the last time that you have experienced a, a knowledge and have a belief concerning the love which God has poured out on us. My friends, God wants you to know that he does love you, that he has poured out his love on us. And as believers, we are to relish that. We are to meditate on that. We are to think about that. And that will deepen our intimate, personal relationship with God. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you're not just simply interested in people having a relationship with you, but you want it to be personal, you want it to be intimate. Father, help us to examine our life because you want us to know that we have this kind of a relationship with you where you are in us and we are in you. Thank you for this marvelous concept of mutual indwelling. May we grab a hold of it. May our life signify that we do have this kind of relationship with you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have given to us, not only to indwell us at salvation and to regenerate us, but also to lead us and guide us to kill sin in our life. And thank you so much for the wonderful story that you have sent your son to be the savior of the world. May that story captivate us. May that story compel us to tell others of the good news that there is a savior. And Father, we think of the love with which you have loved us. We're undeserving of that love. We marvel at that love. Thank you that we can come to know it and even believe it. Come to the point where we have confidence and trust that no matter what we're going through, that your love that is poured out on us can be trusted and relied upon. Thank you for who you are. Work in our lives to have this intimate personal relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.